This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Well, as we continue on this morning, coming to Scripture, we will be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 3, 3. So we're, we're kind of bridging the gap a little bit. And as you turn there to 1 John 2, 28, I want to just bring this to remembrance for you. The Roman statesman who lived 100 years before Christ, Cicero, many of us have probably heard of Cicero. He's a philosopher, a statesman. He famously said this, the dutifulness of children is the foundation of all virtues. The dutifulness of children is the foundation of all virtues. And what he meant by this is the stability of society in the household is stationed around raising children to be dutiful and obedient. Be good, good, good citizens, right? For Cicero, that was the, the children becoming good Roman noble citizens. And while Cicero was a pagan, uh, worshiping a false god like Garrett just uh, finished telling us, there is truth in the statement that he gave. The virtuous life, a life of the Spirit, comes only to dutiful children, but not just as children, as we will see in just a moment. 1 John 2, 28 through 3.3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who, put, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear we thank you that it is alive and active. So would it do a, a living work upon us this morning? Would you take out our stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh? Would you let this living word go down deep within us to be rooted and grounded uh, within us that we would be built up into Christ full of love for you and neighbor? God, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, if you remember, we examined what it meant to be what? Anti-Christ, against Christ. We ended our, our section of 1 John last week contemplating how John continually calls us to abide in God. How? By abiding in his word as his spirit abides in us, reconciling God and man. Remember this whole grand theme of scripture of Eden restored, eternal life beginning now for the believer. Now today we round second base, so to speak, with 1 John. We are halfway home now. And what a glorious inning it's been, if you want to think about it like that, using the baseball metaphor. 
It's been a glorious inning. We've just been knocking it out of the park, hit after hit in First John. I, I know that I've been challenged and convicted uh, and even brought into more conformity of Christ-likeness by First John. And I've heard that same account from many of you, and I pray that that continues, especially today. You see, today, as we come to this text, today is a message of hope. Today, First John presents us with zeal and excitement and comfort, but not the comfort that gives us idleness that we may not eat, but assurance. I want to read a portion of last week's scripture in the context uh, with verse 28 this morning so we get the full picture, so we know what John's presenting us with. Starting with verse 26 of chapter 2 from last week. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that any one of them, those false teachers, should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence not shrink from him in shame at his coming. This morning, we are presented right out of the gate, right out of the dugout. Let's just keep the baseball analogy going on this morning with a self-examination question. And here it is. Why should I abide in Christ again? Why should I abide in Christ? Verse 28 tells us. Notice yet again, John is writing these things to his audience and to us not in a way that is to cause anxiety and doubt, not in a way that would cause us to be unsure and unstable, not in a way to be full of fear, but as what? Dearly beloved children, children in the family of God, a metaphor that he will really flesh out and bring to light with majesty this morning. My dear ones, my children, my beloved, abide. Remain, live in him, dwell securely in Christ. Why? So that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink from him at the shame, in shame at his coming. That's why we are to abide in Christ. That's why. Why should we strive to live in him? Why should we desire to live in his word as the spirit dwells in us, causing this God-man restoration? Because when Christ returns, as he said he would, after every enemy has been put under his feet as a footstool, the last enemy being death, Psalm 110, when the kingdom of God that Christ coronated becomes the kingdom consummated, then there will be final judgment and a final rendering of verdict for righteousness and rebelliousness. For the righteous, the everlasting life that they have already begun in this life, actualized and magnified. And for the rebellious, the everlasting separation from God that they started in this life, actualized, magnified. But notice what our text implies this morning. If we abide in Christ, live in Him, we remain and we dwell in Him, the thought of judgment day does not scare the believer, but gives them confidence, boldness, assurance, joy. That's what it gives us. That's what it gives us. It should. I love the way that John sets up this idea of joyful 
confidence about where the believer, the abider, call you the abider. Sounds like a new avenger, doesn't it? The abider. Where the abider stands concerning judgment. It's joyful confidence. And John sets it up in a way that we we are going to love today. I'm going to make you do some, some stuff with it. Everybody looks really sleepy, all right? I would expect this next week when the, the clocks go forward and we lose an hour. Y'all look a little sleepy today. Get some breaths. Maybe, you know, somebody can get some coffee for you. Let's, let's get some joy and see what the text says because it is amazing. You ready? Like a, like a father speaking to children, John, he gives us a little rhyme in verse 28, and we miss it in the English. We miss it in the English, but in the Greek, in the original language, it's a rhyme. John says, when Christ appears, we may possess, we may own, we may have this bold confidence assurance. Okay, That word confidence right there in the original language is parasia, parasia. So when he appears, you will have parasia. But notice the positive. When he appears, you will have parasia. Then, in typical John fashion, we know what he's getting ready to do, don't we? He's going to give us the negative version of that, the negative version. And here it is. It's the, the same situation, but in negative. You will have parasia and not shrink back, literally meaning there uh, to be ashamed of God and to hide from Christ at his coming. That word for coming that we have there in our Bible is an infamous word used in the New Testament for the second coming, the return of Christ. It's got a bunch of debate throughout history, and it's, I love it. You ready? It's this word in the Greek, parousia. Hear the rhyme? Hear what John's laying down for little children so they can remember just like our catechisms? Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have parousia and not be ashamed of the parousia. See what John's laying down for us? He's helping us to remember, ah, when I abide in Christ, when I am not ashamed of him, and I have this confidence, that confidence carries over for what's coming in the future. Be not ashamed like Adam, naked and afraid in the bushes, shrinking back into the foliage of the garden because of his sin, desiring not to abide with God any longer. No, dear one, dear beloved, dear child, have confidence. Come out into the open as Christ has called you out into the open. Be clothed in the righteousness of, of Christ. Be forgiven of your sin. Live and move and have your being in him. That is what we're called to. You see, those who would be ashamed at his coming are those who are ashamed of him now. It starts now. Whenever he appears, whatever day, Whatever hour, whatever nanosecond, honestly, need not be a concern for the believer if today or in a thousand years, for our confidence is the same each day because our confidence is based in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he has given us work to do here until he comes. We, we do not look for the hour, we labor in the hour. We know that he will give us a, a righteous harvest. But pastor, I'll, yes, good. I've made good Sherlock Holmes inquisitors. There's another question that arises, arises out of this, isn't there? How do I know I'm abiding in him and can have this confidence? How can I know that I'm actually abiding in him 
and can have this confidence. This confidence is mine, right? 1 John 2.29 gives us the answer to this. If you know that he is righteous, remember John's already said this in 1 John 2, Jesus Christ, the what? Righteous. This is who we're talking about. If you know that he, Christ, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How, how do I know that I have, can have this confident assurance? I'll tell you. Do you know Christ is righteous? Do you know that he is the sinless lamb of God? Do you know that he is holy? Do you know that he is your advocate, your propitiation, your forgiveness of sin, your savior? Do you know this? Yes? Then you may be sure, actually better rendered, you may know, you may know, have that true knowledge against those Gnostics. You may know that the same confidence that's in this text is yours that all who practice righteousness have been born of him. You can own that. Own it. Do you practice righteousness? We prod a little bit. Do you practice righteousness? Do you go to God's word and desire to live according to his will, which was what from 1 Thessalonians 4.3? Your sanctification, your holiness, your becoming more like Christ, your hatred of sin, your continual repentance and confession, your increasing love for God and love for neighbor, guided by the Spirit, inflamed by the Scriptures. Is this you? Is this you? If so, then you can confidently, boldly, joyfully know not feel like, not maybe, no solid truth that you have been born of God. Born of God. See, here John introduces a new concept into the letter that's new here, but not new for us. It's that old new teaching paradox that we've talked about because we have John's gospel and we know what this is. Born of God. Notice John's logic here. You... you Practicing righteousness is proof that you have already been, past tense, in the past, not maybe, not now, kind of, past tense, you have been born of God. Your desire to live in a godly way with joy, not like, well, I practice righteousness. I went and helped DJ put some posts back up that fell over in the storm. Here's your post hole digger pictionary right here. You ready? Right. There you go. No, a joy. Yes. When you have this, when you do righteous acts and you live godly with joy, it is proof that you have been born of God, of Him. And those who do similar acts, who leave the church, thinking about the Antichrists, they prove that they are not born of Him. That is why we are called to abide to remain in as if children born into a household under a code that says, listen, there's some stuff out there that you don't need to be in. Stay in here where you're safe. Being born of God, spiritual birth, is a metaphor that we can all understand because I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody that's in here has been born. If you're alive, you've been born. We all understand physical birth, even our little ones, even if they don't understand the full-on, like, mommy and daddy birth thing, they know what birth is with, with animals, right? They know these things. Here's a few things to consider about birth. 
and the metaphor that John's pressing into our minds. Do babies create and birth themselves? Nope, they don't, do they? They don't. Then you cannot, you, dear listener, cannot cause yourself to be born spiritually. God awakens you. The Father gives you new life. The Father recreates you and begets you through the Word by His Spirit. Another thing to consider. Do babies look like their parents? I don't know if you've seen Brooklyn Clemens, but it's, it's Justin with pigtails. Okay. Is it not? It's uncanny. I don't know if you've seen Sebastian back there, but he looks like his daddy. Do babies look like their parents? Yes. Yes, they do. Being born spiritually, again, means you share the traits of your father. Holiness, righteousness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, all these things. Dear listener, hear the word inspired by the Spirit. Hear the very words of the Savior, the one who has come and will come again, telling you of spiritual birth. I'm going to let Jesus speak for himself here. For you who have been born of God, hearing these words will give you joyful confidence. For those of you that have not, I pray that God would open your ears and birth you today, that you would cry out in repentance the first cry of your everlasting life just as a child comes forth with a loud cry from the womb, breaking forth. John 3, 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Be born of God. My dear ones, thinking about birth, thinking about this metaphor that John is fleshing out and that Jesus has laid out for old Nick at night here. Thinking about birth, what do we do with children? What do we do with them? We name them and we love them and we raise them to fear the Lord. The, the confidence that you have, beloved, the confidence of doing righteousness because you love your father and want to be more like him because he has given you new life through the death of his son, that, you need to realize the weight of that. You need to realize the majesty of that. You need to realize that that right there should be a steroid shot in the arm that makes you like, woo! 1 John 3, 1. Look at this. See, look, contemplate, behold, 
What kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The love of God to have mercy upon you, a rebel, a sinner, a hater of him, to change you and to recreate you unto a new creation. That's not God being mean. That's not God overriding your will. That's not God being anything but God. That is his blessed grace. That's his amazing grace that we sang about just a little bit ago. Dear listener, John says that if God has given you this new birth, you need to see it, look at it through this lens. This, him saving you, him calling you into his people. This is the love of God. Look at it, see it, behold it, be in awe of it. It's otherworldly. When we think about the love of God in this manner, it is otherworldly. That, that phrase there in, in 1 John 3, 1, what kind of love, what kind of, it's one word in the Greek and it means this, of what country, of what country is the love that the Father has given us. It, it's, it's the old Greek version of our modern saying of this, it's out of this world. It's otherworldly. Do you know the love of God that has been bestowed upon you is out of this world. Do you know that? That the God of all the universe, creator of the Milky Way and mealworms, would look upon you and choose to love you when you are so unloving towards him. That he would look upon you and recreate you in love. Not out of necessity, out of love that he would give you himself in the form of a man like you and I that would live the perfect life for you and I and die the death that we deserve to pay our debt of sin and raise from the dead that we would have life eternal. Look at that love. Look at that and realize what that makes you. What does that make you? A number? Look at the love of God. The type of love the Father has given us that you would be number 5,389,577,004 in the line of salvation. Is that what that says there? An impersonal number floating around in the ether? What does it say? Look, see, behold. If you have been born of him, created in love, as a parent lovingly brings a child into the world, then you are not a number. You are a child of God, named a child. If a child of God, secured by the Son of God, that means Christ, the Son of God, he's our brother, and he's named you with the same name that he has, glorious. We have been rebirthed into the richest household of all, the house of the Lord. You're not a number. You're a child of God. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? That would look at the worst of enemies and say, I'm going to recreate them, and they're going to go from enemies to my children. That's unfathomable. It's out of this world because it's not of this world, because we would never do that. We would never do that. That's why the gospel is not an invention of man. Because all those false gods like Poseidon and Zeus on the horse thing, or the, or the bull up there that we looked at, the catechism, that's all big men. That's all those false gods of the Greek religions and all that stuff are. They're just big men. 
What kind of God would die and recreate the creation that rebelled against him in love? Not a God of man, but the true God, the one and living true God. See, John wants us to have this emphatic confidence. I'm being a little emphatic this morning, aren't I? You need to be be emphatic too. Look. You know the, the meme from Captain Phillips with the, the guy? It's like, look, I'm the captain now, right? You know what I'm talking about. Look, look, see with your eyes the kind of love that God has bestowed upon you, beloved. Look, that he would call you his own child. Call you his own child, that he would name you. We name things we love and that we care about, don't we? We do it even with silly stuff like cars. I was in a band growing up, and we had we bought a van. Remember the you Kyle? You remember this? You remember? Okay, whatever. You weren't a fan, I guess. Uh, when we were in high school, uh, we had a band, me and my friends, and we bought a three hundred dollar van, and we were so proud of it, and we named it Vangelina Jovi. And there was also, uh, it was up in the air that it was either between Vangelina Jolie and Pamela Vanderson. But you know what? As silly as it was, a bunch of teenage boys being silly, we loved that van. We were proud of it. And it was terrible. It was a Pontiac transporter, whatever it was. It looked like a shark in the front. It was terrible. But we loved it. That's the type of love the Father has bestowed upon you, that he would name you and love you and be proud of you. Psalm 127, verse 3. We read it this morning. Behold, what? Children are heritage from Yahweh, from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God looks upon you, beloved, with this same love, that you're a heritage to him. This should melt your little eight-pound brain. God sees you as a heritage. You know what a heritage is? A heritage is a namesake that's passed down through the generations that you're connected to, that you're proud to be a part of. The Hills, the Colliers, the Murphys, the Stoles. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we would so emphatically be named in the here and now before all eternity began, child of God. Your desire to be righteous and to do righteousness is you growing up from a babe into a mature image of him, which you will fully be when you appear before him in glory, either in your death or if he comes before you die. But dear children, I want you to remember this. Thomas Aquinas famously said that Christians are called to have the heart of a child, but not the mind of a child. Children have big hearts, They're easily accepting. They're full of wonder and awe. That's us. But their minds are fickle. They don't understand things. They get confused. We are to keep the heart of a child as we grow up into him who is the head of the church, Christ Jesus, the righteous, who holds it all together. What a glorious love 
this is and how often do we walk around moping, acting like we're not loved? How often do we post stupid subtweets and post just to get somebody to try to like it, like it so we feel better about ourselves? You don't need that garbage. You need to realize, dearly beloved, you're a child of God. He has named you. See what kind of love the Father has given us. And this love, this love that has begotten you is so out of this world that it takes you out of this world and the world actually knows it. 1 John 3, 1, last half of it. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Remember the world from a few weeks ago in 1 John 2, 15 through 17? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, the sinfulness of man, it doesn't know God. Your sinfulness doesn't know God. You, you hear what John is saying? Sin never leads to God. Sin never leads to God. Sin brings forth death. It is the love of God that brings forth life, new birth. If the desires of the world are passing to you and you are abiding in Christ, then you can know that you are a child of God with confident assurance. And you can know that sinfulness makes you stupid. It makes you really dumb and a child of Satan and that you can't know God through sin. Paul says in Romans 6, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? What does he say? No, that's foolish. By no means, that's absurd. You do not know God through sin. Jesus in his high priestly prayer of John 17 says this, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, for you have sent me. That's you. Christ himself, your advocate, he who made your loving new birth and naming possible, a reality, says the world does not know God. So dear listener, I pray that you are listening. Does the world know you? And do you know the world? I'm not talking about creation. That's a sycamore tree. That's grass. Wow. No. I'm not talking about being aware of what's going on out in the world with your news app or whatever. I'm talking about the world from 1 John 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. Does the world know you like that? And do you know the world? If you are giving in to sin, your flesh, your idolatry of pride, and it never pricks your conscience, you're never convicted of that. You are of this world and are so blind that you believe you're a child of God when you are a child of Satan. He has blinded your mind, 2 Corinthians 1. Dear saint, dear listener, your life should increasingly look opposite of what the world invokes as the norm. Why do you really believe there's only two genders? You believe homosexuality is a sin? There's something wrong with that? You, you believe transgenderism is part social contagion and mental disease? Do you think women shouldn't be able to have abortions ever? Think if a man and a woman are promiscuous, and the woman gets pregnant, that the man should have to raise the child and support them fiscally? You think marriage is a big deal? You think it's wrong to be entertained by the things that old dusty Bible says is wrong, like sex and violence and all this stuff that's on Netflix and every single show you watch? You think that there should be borders? You think that there's a hell? You 
bigot. You're so discriminatory. Where's your tolerance? The child of God who has been born of him truly does discriminate because the word discriminations means to hold one thing superior to another. And do you know what we hold above all things in this world? The Father. If the world knows you, if the world knows you, that there's a problem. If the world looks at you like Norm from Cheers, where everybody knows your name and you're like a drinking buddy. Hey, hey, what's going on there, Hezekiah? I'm the world. Haven't seen you since last week. Come on, what are you doing? Let's go get in some fun. All right. What? If the world looks at you like that and knows your name, you are Antichrist. Doesn't matter what you say you are, because now you can say you're anything. Watch this. I'm a 300-foot-tall purple flying spaghetti monster. And so I am. Right? We are called to be anti-cosmos, anti-world, not of it. So holy, so godly, such a child of God that it scowls at you as you scowl back at it. Dear listener, I want you to have that confidence, and I want you to own it. And so does John. The Spirit through John repeats himself so we get it. Hear this. When, when God repeats himself in his word, just like Joseph said to Pharaoh, the fact that your dreams are doubled means it's a sure thing. This is a sure thing, church. Hear what John says. He repeats himself. Beloved, that word means agapatoi, you know, the loved ones of God, the love of God. See that? That's you. Beloved, we are God's children now, now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Beloved, those who are loved by God, we are God's children now. We are not God's children. Possibly, it's not if we do righteousness, live by the word, love God, love neighbor, all this stuff we see in First John. If we do all that, then we might be God's children in the future. You're God's children now, what, what parent treats a child like this, get them to where they're, they're cognizant, and you say, all right, little brat, I'm not your father, but if you do X, Y, Z, and when you're growing up or when I think it's the right time, then, then, I, then maybe, maybe you can be my child. That's wickedness. No, you are my child, and you do X, Y, Z because you love me and want to, want to be like me. That is what we do. Just as eternal life begins for the believer in the here and now, being a child of God begins in the here and now. Beloved, we are God's children now. Why? Because being a child of God is what? Another metaphor of eternal life. We are God's children now. To be a child of God is to be like him, to be of him, and to be in fellowship with him to have a confident, loving relationship with him as he raises you up, grows you up from babe to adult into himself and has you live and abide in his house that you and I should be heirs, receiving the inheritance, the kingdom of our big brother Jesus, his son, the righteous one. Beloved, hear me. I keep addressing you that way because you need to know that you are. We're going to struggle with sin. 
We're all going to struggle with it. We're going to struggle with faith. We're going to struggle with owning this confidence in everything. But just because we struggle and fight against these things does not mean, does not mean that we aren't God's children. That's a wicked lie. Oh, you messed up today. You must not really be a child of God. That's what the world wants you to think because the world is unstable. Oh, boy. Look what you did. Look what you didn't do. You're not a child of God. No, you are. A child who is born can only cry at first. Then they learn to sit up. Then they crawl. And then they walk. And then they run. And all along the way, they fall down. But they keep getting back up because they know in their heart of hearts, in their subconscious, that they know this, that they were meant to stand upright on two legs. Born into us. If you fall down, if you sin, if you mess up, repent, confess, know that you have a big brother in Jesus who paid your debt, who took the fall that you have and that you keep doing sometimes for you to get back up. Know you were meant to stand upright on two legs and walk away, nay, run away from your sin into his glorious light. That's the righteousness of God. Know that what we will be, sinless, perfect, not appeared yet, hasn't appeared yet. The appearing of our Savior, His coming again, that will make us perfect. What we desire to be, free from sin, hate, oh, I hate that I keep doing this. That desire to be free from that will come and we will be like a big brother Jesus. We're not perfect in this life, beloved, but that's where we're headed. We're not perfect in this life, but we're headed towards that in eternity. We will see God as he is, holy, perfect, blameless, and we will be like him, like his son, spitting images, like Colossians 1 talks about. The images of God, like Adam, who are finally and fully restored back to Eden. Not as gods, not as gods, being our own gods, as the serpent says, but like God, his children, sharing in his semblance seen in his son. What a glorious day that will be when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know what we just sang? That starts here and now. Child of God. 1 John 3, 3, he ends like this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John says the same thing that he just said in 2.29 because we need to get it in our heads. He keeps repeating himself because we, like little children, forget things so easily. If you purify yourself, that is, morally, the same idea of doing righteousness, if you do that, you prove yourself to be a child of God. What a shame it is to see those in the church who think that this life is where everything takes place. What a shame it is to see them be lulled to sleep by thinking, if they just go through the routine, if they say the prayer, they sing the song, they do all that stuff, that they will be fine. Beloved, we are not what we will be yet fully. When you sin, when you mess up, you have a hope. You have a confidence, a longing for the day that you will be free from that. When you physically ache and hurt from age or circumstance or disease, you have hope confident, joyful hope to know that you will be free from that one day in glory. My dear children, if you are God's children now, then what does that mean? You 
who have terrible family backgrounds, you who have terrible fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, you who are alone, you who are orphans, you're in a gigantic family. That's why we call one another brother and sister in Christ. You are not alone. We should live each day in such a way that we meet the needs of our brothers and sisters, helping them in a time of need, aiding them whenever we can, just as our big brother Jesus has helped us and aided us in our time of need, giving us salvation and righteousness and hope and boldness. If we have this small inkling of what life as a child of God is in the here and now, what greater hope, what greater idea that will melt our minds that we can't even see yet what's coming in the future, amen, when it's perfectly actualized. If we remember that God disciplines those he calls his children, even when we feel like we've been spanked by God, convicted of sin, rebuked even, dear child, it's not because God does not love you. It's because of the great love that he has for you, that he should discipline you. Why? So you would be like him. Good fathers don't spank their kids just to spank them. They spank them to cause them to walk in a certain set of rules for their good. They don't realize it yet. Beloved, if you can say confidently, I'm a child of God, realize that from the day that God graciously gave you the second birth in your life, he has been conforming you into the image and the likeness of his perfect son, Romans 8, 29. And that by the Spirit, he has been transfiguring you, transforming you into his holiness more and more with each step being closer to the likeness of his son, that being ever-increasing glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 says. See, the Lord builds his house, not in vain. And what do you do with the house? Fill it full of tears. Dear children, have confidence. Have assurance. Be joyful. Desire to look unto the example of your big brother Jesus. Hear the words of your father. Abide in his house and by his way in his word, being of the same mind, guided by the Spirit, and have this old hymn be your song from this day and evermore. Praise the Lord. My heart with his love is beaming. I am a child of God. Heaven's golden light over me is streaming. I am a child of God. Let a holy life tell the gospel story. I am a child of God. How he fills the soul with his grace and glory. I am a child of God. Saved from sin today, every band is riven. I am a child of God. Through the test of life, I have peace from heaven. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I have washed my robes in the cleansing fountain. I am a child of God. May that be your confident assurance today. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray. Thank you.